Hey, this is Byron, and I'm the lead pastor here at Redemption Church. Thanks for listening to our weekly sermon podcast. I hope this message blesses you, encourages you, and helps you experience life change through Jesus. For more sermons like this, blogs, resources, or opportunities to get connected, visit us at www.redemptiontx.com. You are going to die. Every single person in this room is going to die. And everyone knows that they're going to die, but nobody thinks that they are going to die. But you will die. Death is inevitable. Death is unavoidable. Death is the one thing that comes for us all. Everybody knows that they're going to die, but nobody thinks that they are going to die. You're going to die. And some of you, you're going to die old. At the end of your life, your body will stop functioning. Your brain will stop functioning properly. Your heart will stop beating. Your lungs will stop breathing. Your blood will stop flowing. You will die. Some of you will die old, and some of you will die young. Some of you will die before it is your time. Some of you will die in a car crash or a car accident. Some of you will get sick, you'll have a disease, you'll get cancer, you'll have a stroke, you'll have a heart attack. Some of you, your addictions will get the best of you, and you will overdose and die, and some of you might die at the hands of another. No matter who you are, no matter how rich or poor or wealthy or successful or average you are, every single one of us will die. Death is the one thing that shows no favoritism. We will all die. The question is not, will you die? The question is, how are you going to live? Because everybody dies, but not everybody is truly alive. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to Mark chapter 6. Today, we are going to meet the greatest man who has ever lived, and we are going to watch him die. His name is John the Baptist. The sermon title today is The Death of John the Baptist, and we're going to look at John, the man that Jesus said was the greatest man who ever lived in the history of the world, and we're going to watch him die. We're going to meet John, and we're going to meet another man named Herod, and we're going to compare these two men's lives. We're going to see what motivates them, what drives them, what inspires them. We're going to see one man waste his life, chasing after things, chasing after possessions and pleasure and sex and greed and power and other people's opinions. We're going to meet one man who wasted his entire life living for nothing but himself. And we're going to meet another man who invested his life living for nothing more than Jesus. Friends, let me tell you this. There is nothing in your life that you will do that is greater than living a life for Jesus. You that way you can. But the question is, how will you live so that way you can die well? Today is going to be a heavy sermon. Just letting you know up front. I'm probably not going to make any jokes tell any stories about my daughter or my wife. I'm probably going to offend some of you, and some of you may never come back. But this is important. This is something that you need to hear. This is something to preach the truth and prepare you will die. And it's my job as 
your pastor to preach the truth and prepare you so that on the day you do die, your pastor doesn't have to lie at your funeral. You're going to die. The question is, how are you going to live? Mark chapter 6, we're going to pick up in verse 14. We're going to meet John and Herod. King Herod heard of it, for Jesus' name had become known. Last week, what we saw is that Jesus, he calls his disciples, he gives them authority, he equips them, trains them, and then he sends them out on mission. Last week, Jesus had been with the disciples now for two years. He's raised them up. He's given them authority over the unclean spirits and says, it's time for you to go. Go out, reach people, teach people, tell people about me. And so the disciples, they go. They go and they start preaching the good news of the gospel. They go and they start praying for other people. They go and they start seeing people get saved, people get healed, demons cast out, people get baptized. They start to see lives begin to change. They made the name of Jesus known. That's the reason that we exist. That's the reason that Redemption Church is here. We exist to see a gospel-centered movement in the heart of the city where every man, woman, and child experiences life change through Jesus. We exist to make Jesus' name known. And the disciples, they go out and they make the name of Jesus known. They were pretty successful because apparently word gets back to Herod. Okay, now who's Herod? Well, Mark here says that Herod is the king. Okay, but this is actually a joke that Mark's telling because Herod's not really a king. Herod thinks he's a king. He wants to act like he's a king, but he's not really a king. He's what's known as a tetrarch. So Caesar is the king over Rome, and then Herod is just a puppet. He's just a pawn in the Roman government. He has no rights, he has no responsibility, and he has no respect. So Herod, he lives like he's a king, and so Mark makes a little joke and says, oh, that's King Herod, because that's exactly what Herod is. Herod is a joke. King Herod, he hears about what's going on. He hears about the name of Jesus, and this is what he says. He said, John the Baptist has been raised from the dead. This is why these miraculous powers are at work within him. So here's what Mark is doing. Mark is giving us a flashback all the way to chapter 1. In chapter 1, we see that John the Baptist, he's preaching. He's in the wilderness. He's preaching a message of repentance. He's baptizing people in the water. And then Jesus comes, and then Jesus comes to be baptized by him. And as Jesus is baptized in the water, he comes up immediately. The Holy Spirit descends on him like a dove. He's empowered to go and begin his ministry. And as soon as Jesus goes out, begins to teach, John's arrested. John's thrown in prison. And so most likely, John dies in chapter 1. So why is Mark waiting until chapter 6 to tell us about the death of John all the way back in chapter one. Here's the reason why. It's because Mark wants you to know the cost of following Jesus. Mark wants you to know exactly what to expect when you decide that you are going to follow Jesus. Mark wants you to know that as the mission increases, opposition also increases. As the kingdom advances, opposition also comes against you. Mark wants you to know from the very beginning that this is what it's like if you're going to live your life on mission and live your life for Jesus, you're going to experience similar things to what John experiences as well. Mark doesn't hold anything back. He's letting you know from the very beginning that this is the cost of following Jesus. And here's what he says. But others said, he is Elijah. 
And others said, he is like a prophet, one of the prophets of old. But when Herod heard of it, he said, this is John whom I beheaded, who is raised from the dead. It was Herod who killed John. For it was Herod who had sent and seized John and bound him in prison for the sake of Herodias, his brother Philip's wife. For John had been saying, it is not lawful for you to have your brother's wife. It's nasty. And Herodias had a grudge against him and wanted to put him to death. But she could not, for Herod feared John, knowing that he was a righteous and holy man, and he kept him safe. When he heard him, he was greatly perplexed, and yet he heard him gladly. So John's thrown in prison for preaching. He's preaching a message of repentance. Turn from your sins. Trust in the Lord. The kingdom of God is at hand. Come down here in the water. Be baptized. Get right. Be righteous. Get cleansed. You need to come because the king is coming. And John's preaching this message. And then Herod, he's filled with anger and bitterness against him because he's calling him out for a sin. Herod's wife, Herodias, doesn't want to listen to the sermon, doesn't want to listen to the message. She doesn't want to repent. And so they decide they're going to arrest him and throw him in prison. And as John is in prison, every single day, Herod's calling him down to his palace. He's going from the prison to the palace, and Herod wants to listen to him preach. So John walks in, says, repent of your sins. You know, it's not right for you to have your brother's wife. This is wicked. This is wrong. This is evil. You need to turn. And then Herod says, yeah, I don't want to listen to that. You can go ahead and go back to prison. And the next day, he brings him back in, listens to the sermon, doesn't respond to the message, sends him back to prison. And you think this is interesting, right? Why would he call John to listen to him every single day? And it says that he listened to him gladly. There's a word there that says perplexed. Okay, that in the Greek word that means not knowing which way to turn. If you remember right, what does the word repentance mean? To turn. So Herod's listening to the sermon. He's got a divided heart. He wants to turn, but he doesn't really want to turn. He wants to go one way, but he doesn't really know which way to go. He listens to the message, but he never responds to the message. And he listens to him gladly, but he never makes any decision. Well, the story continues. Here's what we see next. But an opportunity came when Herod, on his birthday, gave a banquet for his nobles and his military commanders and the leading men of Galilee. So everyone's there. This is a who's who of Galilee. You got King Herod. It's his birthday. It's a big feast. It's a big celebration. It's a big party. You have the leading men, all of the military, all of the governors. You have all of the politicians, all of the celebrities, all the rock stars, all the athletes, everybody on Instagram who got famous for absolutely no reason. Every single person's there. It's a big party. They're there to celebrate Herod. And they're drinking and they're feasting and they're drunk And it's a whole bunch of drunk men in a party. And you know it's not going to go well when that happens. But an opportunity came on his birthday. They gave a banquet, the nobles, the military commanders, and the leading men of Galilee. For when Herodias' daughter came in and danced, she pleased Herod and his guests. So Herod's wife is filled with anger. She's holding a grudge against him. She's angry at him because she doesn't want to listen. And so she sees a moment. She wants to have John killed, but she can't do it. And so now she sees a moment. This is her moment. This is her chance. This is her opportunity. And so she sets a trap for her husband, and she uses her daughter's bait. Just so you know, that's evil. And it says that she sends her daughter in. And the daughter, she dances. Now, she doesn't dance like a little girl should. 
She's not wearing a sundress with her hair in pigtails, listening to music and twirling with flowers, the way that a little girl should dance. When it says she's dancing, this is a sexual dance. That she's doing a, a strip, a little girl, she's performing a, a lap dance. This is an erotic dance, a little girl in a room filled with drunk men dancing for them. And when it says pleased, you can imagine what that means. This little girl, she pleased an entire room of drunk, old, nasty, powerful, perverted men. And whose idea was it? It's her mom's. Her mom sent this little girl in, and just to make it worse, scholars believe this little girl was 12. So Herod's in this party, surrounded by all of these men. They're drunk. The girl's there. They're dancing. What do you think is going to happen next? Well, the story continues. Here's what he says. Ask me for whatever you wish, and I will give it to you. Apparently, he liked it. He says, what do you want? I'll give it to you. You want a new house? You want a new car? You want to go on vacation? You want to go shopping? Here's my black card. You go, you buy whatever you want. You want a new wardrobe, right? Whatever it is, it's all yours. You can have anything you want. What is the little girl going to ask for? Here's what she says. He continues. He says, whatever you ask me, I will give it to you up until half of my kingdom. Apparently, he was also pretty drunk because he offers her half of his kingdom. If you remember, he, he's not a king. He doesn't have a kingdom. He's offering her something that doesn't even belong to him. And that's exactly what sin will do. Sin will make promises that it cannot keep. Sin will offer you something that doesn't belong to it. And Herod, in his sin and in his foolishness and drunkenness, he offers her half of his kingdom. He's not a king. He doesn't have a kingdom. He thinks he is, but he's not. He's nothing but a shame of a man. The story continues, and the little girl, she runs out, and she goes back to her mother, and she says, for what should I ask? And she said, the head of John the Baptist. This was her plan all along. She wanted John dead, and she would use any means as possible, even if it meant to trick her husband and pimp out her daughter. John must die. And she, the daughter, comes back in immediately with haste to the king and says, I want you to give me at once the head of John the Baptist on a platter. And the king, he was exceedingly sorry. The king was exceedingly sorry because of his death and his guests, and he did not want to break his word to her. Right now, the king, Herod, he has a choice. He has a decision to make. Every single person has a choice. You have a choice. Herod has a choice. What is he going to do? Is he going to repent of his sins? Is he going to turn and say, this is wrong, this is wicked, this is cruel, this is vile, this is a shame, everybody go home, the party's over, and set John free, or is he going to continue and go through with it? Everybody has a choice. He was exceedingly sorry because of his oath, and immediately the king sent an executioner with orders to bring back John's head. And he went and he beheaded him in prison and brought his head on a platter and gave it to the girl, and the girl then gave it to her mother. And when his disciples heard about it, they came and took his body and they laid it in a tomb. The greatest man who ever lived died. This is a tragic story of innocence and of rape and of 
murder. The greatest man who ever lived, he died. This is not a story that we tell our kids. We're not going to tuck our kids in tonight and read them the death of John the Baptist. We're not teaching this one at Redemption Kids today. You probably didn't hear this sermon in Sunday school growing up, but here it is. And this is so important for us to be able to understand. And this is the reason that I love the Bible so much, because the Bible is the most honest book that has ever been written. And this is the reason that I love the gospel of Mark so much, because Mark, he doesn't hold anything back. Mark, he doesn't sugarcoat anything. Mark, he doesn't placate religion. He doesn't to his audience. He doesn't pat you on the back and tell you everything's going to be okay. Mark tells you up front from the very beginning, as honestly, as bluntly, and as truthfully as he can, that you will die, that every single person in this room is going to die. And one day, your friends and your family, they're going to come in, they're going to get your body, and they're going to take you out, and they're going to lay you in a tomb, and you will be dead. And so when we come across sections of scripture like this, we don't really understand what it is that we are to do. We don't really get it. The story seems more like it belongs in Game of Thrones than here in the Bible. But if you think that this is crazy, let's just go a little bit deeper and let's really take a look into it. So here's what we got to do to unpack this story just a little bit more. We need to do a little biblical history to be able to understand it. Okay, because I, I got a nice little infographic up here. I want to introduce you to this man named Herod. Okay, here's a, here's a graphic for you. Um, when it comes to the Bible, there's a bunch of different Herods. Five, if my memory serves me correct. And each of the Herods, they are descendants of, sons or grandsons of this man on the top. His name is Herod the Great. And so when you're reading your Bible in the book of Matthew, whenever it says that the Herods slaughtered all of the innocents at Jesus' birth, that's this guy. See, Herod, he thought that he was the king, and when the wise men came and said, we're looking for the king of the Jews, he began to be feel very threatened. And so what he decided to do is he was just going to kill all the babies so that way he could continue being the king. So when you think about the slaughter of the innocents, that's, that's this Herod. That's Herod the Great. And Herod the Great, he had several wives, and from each of these wives, he had multiple sons. The first son we see right here is Herod Aristobulus. Okay, he's not in the story because by the time this story takes place, he's already dead. Right? Herod, he got threatened by Aristobulus, so he killed his son. So he's not featured in this story, but the other son we meet is Herod Philip. Okay, so for Herod Philip, that's the brother of the wife. And then we see, that's our guy right there, Herod Aristobulus. That's the one that we're talking about. That's the one who is in our story. And the Herods, they were what is known as idolmen which is an Edomite. About 800, 500 years before this sermon or this story takes place, the Edomites converted into Judaism. But as the Roman Empire began to grow and take over, the Edomites, they turned their back on Jerusalem and then they pledged their allegiance to Rome. So Caesar decided, okay, you know what? I'm gonna take these guys and I'm gonna put them over this territory and it's their responsibility to keep the peace. But they didn't really keep the peace very well and they couldn't even keep peace within their own family. So we have these three brothers, and here's what we see, is that Herod Philip is married to a woman named Herodias, and then his brother, which is Herod that we're seeing today, they meet in Rome, they fall in love, they have an illicit affair, they leave their spouses, they move to Galilee, and that's where we're at today. And so these are the three brothers, but if you want to look back just a little bit more, Herod the Great, also, he had a daughter, and her name was Bernice. 
Who is Bermisa's mother? Salome, which is also Herod's sister. Told you, nasty. Game of Thrones, right? So Salome has a daughter named Bernice. Bernice marries Aristobulus. They have a daughter named Herodias, who is named after her grandpa slash uncle Herod. And then she leaves her brother, which is really her uncle, for her other uncle, which is her new husband. Which means the 12-year-old girl who comes dances for Herod is not only his stepdaughter, but it's also biologically his niece. Herod wanted to be great, but he ended up being nothing but a shame. Sorry, sad excuse for a drunk, powerful man. Herod the Great, and then his sons. His sons wanted to be just like will become. That's exactly what they came out to be. Parenting tip for you fathers. Your sons will become just like you. So you're wondering, why are you telling me all of this? What does this have to do with what we're talking about? What does this have to do with what we're going through? Emotionally, I want you to be able to connect into the story. I want you to be able to see it. I want you to be able to understand it because here's what happens to us so many times is that when we come across sections of scripture like this, we don't really like it. We don't understand it. We don't read it. We don't want to talk about it. We want to read the parts that we like. We want to read the parts that we understand. We want to the parts that we agree with. We want to go on version. We want to share the Bible verse app of the day. We love those verses. You're not going to find this verse on version. It's not going to be on your Instagram, but this is very important for us to be able to understand. It's important for us to connect into this story. And what you have to understand is that in sections of scripture like these, you actually begin to see the true heart behind the author, why he wrote this book. We need to understand that the Bible is not written to us. The Bible is written for us. Here's what I mean by that. It's for us. It's for us to learn. It's for us to grow. It's for us to understand. It's for us to learn how to live our lives like Jesus. The book of Mark is not just a biography about the life of Jesus. It's that, but it's also so much more. It's not just about how Jesus lived, but it's also about how we can live our lives like Jesus. And so when we read the Bible, we got to understand that there was a particular audience in a certain time in a certain place that Mark was writing to. Who was Mark writing to? The Christian church in Rome about 30 years after the life, death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. And church history tells us that the first century Christians were experiencing so much persecution under the hands of a wicked, evil Roman Caesar named Nero. And what Nero would do, he hated the Christians, and so he wanted all of them dead. So he would arrest them, he would throw them in prison, and then he would saw them in half, he would feed them to lions and to dogs, he would rip their bodies open, and then he would impale them on a rod in the middle of the city, set them on fire just to watch them burn. That's what Christians endured on a daily basis in the first century. And so whenever the first century Christians would read this, what they would say is, I'm being arrested, I'm being beaten, I'm being thrown in prison, I'm being beheaded, my life looks exactly like John. And so the first century Christians, they would identify with this. Now for us, it seems so foreign. It seems so distant and detached. It seems just so unreal because we don't experience persecution like this here in America. Okay, persecution still exists in the world, that our brothers and sisters are suffering, they are dying because of their faith and their belief in Jesus. But persecution here in America, it's just not happening. Okay, not like this. Some people are like, I'm being persecuted for my faith, and they get on Facebook and they write a post about it. Okay, until they set you on fire, you're not being persecuted. 
Okay, brothers and sisters in India and Africa and China, they are dying on a daily basis. Gordon Cromwell University came out with a study that said in the last 10 years, over 1 million Christians, men, women, and children have been murdered simply because they believe in Jesus. Here in America, we don't understand that. But that doesn't mean that we don't have our Herods because we still have our Herods today. Now, we're not being arrested and thrown in prison or beheaded because of our faith. But it might be a little bit harder for you to get a job. Right? Nobody's going to bake you a cake and throw you a party, pat you on your back whenever you sign up to follow with Jesus. We'll throw you a party when we baptize you, but the rest of us, it's going to be kind of tough for you. You might not get thrown into prison, but it might be hard for you to find a job. We have a guy in our church who got sent home from work for witnessing to a coworker. There are some of you that your family didn't come to your baptism. There are some people in our church who their family has disowned them. There are some people in our church, one woman in particular, that her parents began to mock her. There's one young girl in our church. She got saved. She started serving. She started coming to community groups. She got baptized, and her dad told her that she was joining a cult. Overseas, persecution is more overt, right? They'll just arrest you, chop your head off. You're done. But here, it's more covert. But just like the church in Rome, just like John, you and me and every single person in this room, we have to make a decision. We have to make a decision which way we are going to go. Are we going to bend our knee to culture? Are we going to bow to the the pressures of the world? Are we going to live our life like Herod, chasing after wealth and success and fame and popularity and greed and sexual desires? Or are we going to live our lives like John? Are we going to live our lives for something greater, for some meaning that is bigger than ourselves? We have to make a decision. How are we going to live? Because the truth is every single one of us will die. So how are we going to live? Are you going to live like Herod or are you going to live like John? So now that we've seen Herod's background, let's just talk a little bit about John. These two men are completely antithetical to one another. They're in the furthest opposite extremes as you could even imagine that is possible. See, Herod is in a palace. John is in a prison. Herod is filled with pride. John is filled with the Holy Spirit. Herod was a puppet. John was a prophet. Herod was rich. John was poor. Herod had a party where he feasted. John ate bugs and honey. These two men are completely opposites, yet both men, they lived their life. One man wasted it. One man invested it. What are you going to do? Who are you going to be? How are you going to live like Herod or like John? John was the greatest man who ever lived. Do you want to be great? Do you want your life to matter? Do you want to live your life for reason? Do you want to give your life to something bigger, a vision that is greater than yourselves? If so, then you need to learn how to live your life like John. And so we're going to see three things from John's life, three things for us to live well so that way you can die well. So what does Mark tell us about John? The first thing we see is this. If you want to live like John, you need to live boldly. Why was John arrested? What was John's message? Here's what it says in verse 17. For it was Herod who had sent and seized John and bound him in prison for the sake of Herodias, his brother's wife. For John had been saying to Herod, it is not lawful for you to have your brother's wife. This is pretty bold. 
For John to go right up to Herod, the leader over the area, and look to him and say, it is not right for you to have your brother's wife, that this is sin, this is wrong, this is not the way that God wants you to live. John walked right up to Herod, and he began to say, Herod, you need to repent. Herod, you need to turn. Herod, you need to knock that off. Herod, God has something. God wants you to turn. That's pretty bold. It says that he said it to Herod. Right? He's not talking about Herod. He's not casually mentioning him in a conversation. Right? He's not blogging about him from some anonymous source. No, he's going right to his face. He has an audience. He's standing right in front of him, and he's calling Herod towards repentance. This is pretty bold. But that's who John was. John's entire life was a life lived of boldness. John, he was a prophet. That he was set apart in his mother's womb. He was filled with the Holy Spirit before he was ever even born. John is the last in line of the Old Testament prophets. And prophets understand this, that they are going to die. Prophets of the Old Testament, they all died painful, brutal deaths of martyrs. John, the last in line, he lived his life knowing that one day I'm going to die. And while I'm here, I have one purpose, one mission, one reason, one focus. My message is for me to preach repentance. Prophets did not have to worry about 401ks or retirements because they died before they could ever cash them in. John's message was repentance. And then Jesus comes on the scene, and it's the first words out of Jesus' mouth. And we saw last week that this is the same message that Jesus has called us out to go and teach and tell people to repent and believe for the kingdom of God is at hand and be baptized, every single one of you, for the forgiveness of your sins. That was John's message. That was John's message. That was our message. And if we want to live that out, then we need to live boldly. Could you just imagine the boldness that it would take for John to go and preach to Herod every single day, knowing full well that at any moment this man, he could kill me. And yet John got up every single day. He went to him. He pleaded with him. He preached to him. And he told him, repent and be baptized for the forgiveness of your sins. This is the same thing that we're called to do. And why was John calling out Herod? because of his sinful sexual lifestyle. Do you think there's any correlation we could make to American culture today? Oh yeah. This is because the kingdom and the culture are antithetical to one another. That Herod represents the culture, John represents the kingdom. The kingdom and the culture are antithetical to one another, and they always have been, and they always will be, even 2,000 years later. When you start talking about sexual sin, you can expect to get your head chopped off. If you get up on this stage and we begin to talk about abortion, and we start talking about homosexuality or transgenderism, we talk about bisexuality, we talk about hooking up, shacking up, sexual cohabitation, relationships, we start talking about these things, then you can expect that some people are still going to get their head chopped off, even 2,000 years later. And the reason is because the kingdom and the culture, they are antithetical to one another. They always have been, they always will be. We can live like Herod or we can live like John, but either way, we need to make a decision. And when we stand on that decision, we have to move forward with boldness. The kingdom and the culture, they are antithetical to one another. And some of you right now, as I'm preaching, you're thinking, oh, Byron, you're getting political. Okay. This is not a political issue. This is a kingdom issue that has political implications. This is not political. You shouldn't talk about that. That's political. Who is the politician in the story? Herod. Gotcha. Who is the preacher? 
John. He was just doing his job. This is not a political issue. These are kingdom issues that have political implications. Abortion, the sanctity of human life, that is a kingdom issue. Homosexuality, gay marriage, that is a kingdom issue because God made marriage. God defines marriage. God determines what it means. These are kingdom issues that have political implications because people are behind the enemy lines. People are behind the mindsets. People are behind the spiritual of the air that is deceiving and twisting and hurting and robbing them. These are kingdom issues that have political implications. And the kingdom and the culture, they are antithetical to one another. They always have been. They always will be. And as a church, we need to stand up, rise up, and we need to be like John, and we need to be bold. Now, before you get bold and you get all excited and you run out and you say, that's right, my pastor, he preaches the truth. We're so bold. And you get on Facebook and you start using the Bible as an excuse to hate people. Stop it. Before you go out and get, I'm bold, you need to make sure that it's coming from a place of love. Because we have people in our church that we love dearly who have had abortions. One of my best friends She had an abortion. I love her. I care for her. I pray for her daily. And I would never walk up to her and look her in the face and say, you're a murderer. I would never do that to her. We have men and women in our church who struggle with same-sex attraction, who are coming out of the LGBTQ plus community, and they're desperately trying to follow Jesus, and they're desperately trying to live for Jesus, and they're living a life of celibacy, and they want to be holy, and it's hard, and it's difficult but they're surrendering their life to Jesus. The last thing we need is for you to add more guilt and shame and condemnation to them. So before you think, I'm gonna be bold, you need to make sure that it's coming from a place of love. I truly believe that John, he loved Herod. I I, I truly believe that, that he would go and he would preach to him and he would say, repent, because he wanted to see Herod's life changed. Because Herod had a moment. Herod, he had an opportunity. Herod, he could have turned. He wanted to turn, but he didn't know which way to turn. And so every single day, John would get up. He would go to him gladly. He would preach to him. He would plead with him. He would beg with him. He said, forgiveness is still available. There's still an option for you. It's not too late, Herod. You can still turn. And I believe that he did that with boldness because sometimes the most bold thing you will ever do is love someone who sins differently than you. And he wanted to see him change, but he kept saying, repent and believe every single one of you for the forgiveness of your sins. And guess what? That's the same message that John has for us that every single one of you have sinned, every single one of you have fallen short of the glory of God, that we are all broken, we are all bent, we are all sinners, and we all need to repent and believe every single one of us, gay, straight, lesbian, bisexual, Republican, Democrat, no matter if you've had five abortions or five hints, and believe and be message for all of us is exactly the same. Repent and believe and be baptized for the forgiveness of your sins. Forgiveness is available. Forgiveness is right here. Forgiveness is right now. You can turn. You don't have to live the way that you're living. You don't have to be the way that you are. You could be a new person. You could be a new creation. You can have a new life. You can have a new identity. You can have a new destiny. All you need to do is repent and believe. That's the message that John has. 
And that's the message that we should have as a church because sometimes the boldest thing you will ever do is love someone who sins differently than you. So we want to be bold, but at the same time, we also want to be holy. One of the worst things we can do is be bold and then not be holy. One of the worst things we could do is not practice what we preach. If you're going to be bold, you need to also be holy. Here's what happens. And Herodias had a grudge against him and wanted to put him to death, but she could not. For Herod feared John, knowing that he was a righteous and holy man, and kept him safe. When, her, when he heard him, he was greatly perplexed, and yet he heard him gladly. Herodias, she wanted to put John to death. She didn't like the message. She didn't like the sermon. She didn't like the preacher. She wanted him to shut up. She wanted him to stop talking about her sin. She wanted him to die. And so she wanted to put him to death. She held a grudge against him, but there was nothing she could do to stop him. Every accusation she made against him, it didn't work. Every criticism she had against him, it never stuck. Anything that she tried to accuse him of, it didn't work. Why? Because he was righteous and he was holy. These are two words that we're totally unfamiliar with in American culture, righteousness and holiness. So let me explain it to you. Righteous means that you do what's right even when nobody else is doing it, even when it means that you could die. You still do what's right because it's right to always do right, that you have morals, you have character, you have virtue. That's what righteousness means. So as Christians, we are called to be righteous And then we're also called to be holy. This word holiness, it means set apart, to be different, to be unique, to be something other, that our lives are to be different than the way that the world works, that we are called to be righteous and we are called to be holy. You can't live one foot in the culture and one foot in the kingdom. It just doesn't work that way. You can't claim to be like John and yet live like Herod. You need to make a choice. You need to make a decision. Which way are you going to live? Are you going to live holy? Are you going to live righteous, to be unique, to be different? And we live in a day to where everybody wants to be different, right? Everybody's like, I want to be autonomous. I want to be individual. I want to be unique. I want to be myself. I want to be different. But you know what I've discovered is everybody who wants to be different always ends up looking exactly the same. Have you ever noticed that? That anytime something goes viral, anytime there's some trend, anytime there's some new wave or social justice hashtag activism, everybody jumps with the world's big thing and they always end up looking exactly the same. See, when we think different, what the world typically thinks is sin. Everybody, they look exactly the same. You wanna be different? Okay, everybody is hooking up on Tinder, getting naked, running around. That's not different, that's normal, right? You wanna be different? You want to be weird? You want to be punk rock? You want to be a freak in 2019? Go to church, love Jesus, get married young, stay married through the rest of your life, raise your kids, praise your God, give and pay your taxes. That's a freak. Nobody's doing that anymore. Right? You want to be weird? You want to be different? You want to be crazy? You want to be unique? You need to be holy. This is what Christians are supposed to be like, that when people see us, they see something different. And when people see our lives, they begin to notice the way that we live, that we live holy and we practice what it is that we preach. And as we do this, people, they begin to notice. People start seeing this. And some people, they come to me and they say, Pastor Byron, I just want to be, I just want to be happy. The Bible, it doesn't make me happy. I just want to be happy. You're trying to stop my fun. Listen, if you have a choice between happiness and holiness, always Choose holiness. Always choose holiness because here's what I've discovered that people who pursue after happiness, they're the most miserable people. Herod, he pursued after happiness. 
And he wound up drunk. He wound up depressed. He wound up murdering another person. And it says that he was exceedingly sad because he chased after pleasure and happiness. Herodias, she chased after happiness. She held a grudge to the point to where she murdered someone. If you chase after happiness, happy people who pursue after that tend to be the most miserable people. But if you chase after holiness, guess what? You get both. That holy people are also very happy people, right? I can speak from personal experience, right? I've been following Jesus for 13 years. Before I started following Jesus, I had sex with dozens of girls. Since I've been following Jesus, one. What? I'm pretty happy. Right before Jesus, I was spun out on crystal meth for two years. The only thing it got me was three felonies and a trip to rehab. Since Jesus, I feel like I'm doing all right. I'm telling you, choose holiness. Plus, there's less chance of a hangover, which also makes me pretty happy. If you have a choice between holiness and happiness, always choose holiness because people who pursue after happiness, they're miserable. People who pursue after holiness, they're both happy and they're both holy. We're to be holy people, that when the world sees the way we live, we're bold, but we're also holy, which leads to the last thing. If we want to live like John, not only do we need to live boldly, not only do we need to live holy, but we also need to live free. Here's what it tells us next. And the king was exceedingly sorry because of his and he did not want to break his word to her. Immediately, the king sent an executioner with orders to bring John's head. He went and beheaded him in prison and brought his head on a platter and gave it to the girl, and the girl gave it to her mother. When the disciples heard of it, they came in and they took his body and they laid it in a tomb. You have Herod and you have John. You have a puppet. You have a prophet. You have culture. You have a kingdom. You have one man who's in a palace and you have one man who is in a prison, but only one man is truly free. His name is John. Herod might have been in the palace. John might have been in the prison, but it was John who was truly free because he wasn't a slave to other people's opinions. See, Herod, he recognized the sin that he had done. He realized that this is wrong. He was exceedingly sorry. He wanted to turn. He wanted to repent. He wanted to give it up. He wanted to send everybody else home. He was exceedingly sorry, but he didn't stop. Why? Because he was so concerned about what other people think about him, that he was a slave to the opinions of other people. He wanted to be great. He wanted to be a king. He wanted to be respected, but he was so afraid about what other people thought, that he wanted power, he wanted pleasure, he wanted riches, he wanted wealth, he wanted success, he wanted the world to love him, he wanted people to like him, he wanted their respect, and in the end, he was a coward. John, he didn't care about any of those things. John, he didn't care about what other people thought. He didn't care about what other people's opinions were. He didn't care about what the culture said. John was concerned with one thing, living his life with meaning, living his life with focus, living his life on mission with the message. That's the only thing that John cared about. The only thing he cared about was worshiping the true king. And because of this, in Matthew chapter 11, Jesus says, of those who are born of women, there is none greater than John because John was the only one who was truly free. Messages like these are very hard for me to preach. How many of you want my job right now? I think this is the reason why pastors don't preach straight through the Bible. 
Because we come across sections of scripture like this that we don't teach, we don't hear, we don't learn, and we don't actually know. And so we see parts we don't like, and so we move past them very fast. We all want to see Jesus feed the 5,000. How many of you heard that story? Jesus feed the 5,000 people? Yeah, that's next week. But in order for us to reach 5,000 people, we got to get this, because if we're afraid of what people think, we're never going to reach anybody. In order for us to get to 5,000, we got to talk about this. This is in God's word. This is what God says. This word is truth. This word is trustworthy. This tells us exactly who God is and how we are to live. And this is in the word. This is God's word. This is what God wants us to say. And it's my job to preach this word. John, he was just doing his job. See, John, he knew that he was the messenger and God did not call him to be an editor. John knew that I have a message that I need to preach because people need to repent. People need to turn. People need to experience the fullness of the kingdom of God. This is my message. And John decided he would not bend his knee. He would not bow to anyone. He would not be a slave to people's opinions. John knew exactly why he was to be alive. And because of that, he lived boldly. He lived holy. He lived free. And you and me, we oftentimes are so concerned and caught up and focused and worried about what other people are going to think. That we're like, Herod, what are people going to think if I stand up for what's right? What are people going to say if I start doing what's right? What are people going to think if I start living boldly and living holy? And we get so worried about offending other people. My fear is that we can offend God that would be so worried about offending everyone else that in fact, we begin to live our lives as an offense to God himself. See, John, he knew that this is why God had called him, that he was the forerunner. He was the one who comes to prepare the way for the true king. He thought he was the king. Herod thought he was the king. He thought he was great. He thought that he was everything. John decided I would bow to no one except for the one true living king. And John lived his life boldly. He lived his life wholly, and John was the one who was truly free. Today, we don't name our kids Herod. We name our kids John. Herod was a puppet. John was a prophet. Herod was a slave. John, he was free. John, he might have lost his head. Herod lost his soul. Herod wanted to be the king. John worshiped the true king. Herod, he thought he was great, but it was John who was the greatest man who ever lived. The truth is you will die. The question is, how are you gonna live? Because friends, death is not a tragedy. You know what a tragedy is? Wasting your life. That's a tragedy. You have a decision to make. Are you going to live like Herod or are you going to live like John? Are you going to live your life and great for a reason, for a meaning? Are you going to make a difference? Is your life going to count? But you have to make a decision. How are you going to live so that one day, on the day, you can die well? I'm going to close with a poem written by a man named C.T. Studd. He was a missionary like John who gave his life He went out preaching to places like Africa and India, and he lost his life on the mission field. And at the end of his life, here's what C.T. Studd had to write. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what is done for Christ will last. 
And when I'm dying, how happy I'll be if the lamp of my life has been burned out for thee. Everyone dies. Question is, how are you going to live? Well, thanks again for tuning in with us here at Redemption Church. If this message was helpful to you in any way, leave a review, like, comment, or share with your friends to help others experience life change through Jesus. Oh.